Welcome to Students and Scholars, a literary podcast accompanying the course English 2620, British Literature After 1800 at Utah Valley University. I'm Dr. Zan Kamek. In this student-led episode, Darian, Robbie, Alicia, Jessica, and Ashley walk us through the concepts of stream of consciousness and how this narrative style became a trademark of modernist works, such as, as Virginia Woolf's novel, Mrs. Dalloway. Thank you for coming to the podcast. Um, I'm Darian, and I will be the host. I'm Robbie. Okay, yeah, I'm going to be talking about specific instances of stream of consciousness being used in Mrs. Dalloway. I am Jessica, and I will be discussing how the modern world is connected to Mrs. Dalloway and exploring consciousness. And I'm Alicia Rogers, and I'll be talking about uh, critical reviews that have been published about Mrs. Dalloway. Awesome. So let's start with Ashley's topic about what stream of consciousness is and what the definition is and just all about it as some background information, where it came from. Yeah, perfect. So what I'm going to be talking about is stream of consciousness, as you just mentioned, Darian. First of all, just a few facts about it. Um, the term stream of consciousness traces back to um, the novel Principles of Psychology, published in 1890 by William James. Um, and the technique actually existed long before it was named. It can even be found in you know writings by Edgar Allan Poe and many others. But for the most part, it's associated with the early 20th century modernist movement. Um, so yeah, that's just a couple facts about it. As far as stream of consciousness, like as a concept, to get more of a definition going, um, we receive a bunch of information and visual input input in a day. So it can be really hard to retain a, a lot of it. One of the videos I was watching in you know preparation to for the podcast was talking about that, and it said that the things that stick in your mind is kind of what makes up your consciousness. So the stream of consciousness is kind of just like a messy jumble of someone's constant flow of thoughts, if that makes sense. It's super fast paced, fast paced, excuse me. Um, and you know, it switches like this super quickly. And also they use the term stream to reflect just that constant flow, like it's never ending. Um, a couple important things to remember are there's no dominant central theme um, like that gets carefully explored in your stream of consciousness. The video talked about that a lot. And also another interesting thing is it's not just words. It's also images, you know, from movies or your memories or the media. Basically, it can be like a combination of pictures and sounds and thoughts and words. So it's super complex, definitely not neat and tidy. Um, sometimes there's a rhyme or reason to it, which we'll talk about in a second, but definitely not always. So biggest thing is stream of consciousness as a concept just helps us understand the complexity of the mind and that, like I said, it's not organized. <laughs> um, another thing to remember is, well, I guess as far as stream of consciousness as a writing style or technique, um, it's important to know that it's a narrative mode. So a stream of consciousness tr really tries to capture the natural flow of a character's thought process. And um, 
the video also gave a, a cool analogy. It said it's kind of like holding a microphone up to someone's constant th flow of thoughts. So that kind of helped me visualize it. Um, a few different ways that we can recognize it in literature are, for example, it does not follow ordinary rules of grammar or syntax, which is just sentence structure. Um, and also it doesn't follow rules of punctuation either. Like there'll be excessive semicolons, run-on sentences, incomplete sentences, um, stuff like that. Another thing, um, another way we can recognize stream of consciousness in literature um, is through something called associative thought. So that's when the transitions between ideas are very like loosely connected, but they're based on a character's like personal experiences and memories. Um, if that makes sense. A few different other things are like repetition um, is important to note in stream of consciousness that can kind of reflect something that's um, like a significant theme in the character's thoughts. So that was an interesting thing. Um, just to wrap up here, a common question about um, stream of consciousness is how it's different from the interior monologue um, that we often see like being expressed through literature. So just to kind of briefly go over that, an interior monologue is presented using traditional syntax and grammar. You know, it's usually very clear in its progression and their complete sentences, super coherent, fully formed. It's basically as if the character's talking to themselves. And then with stream of consciousness, it's actually trying to portray the actual experience of thinking in, with all of its chaos going on. It's not just an attempt to explain the character's thoughts, but also help the readers figure out and experience how the character is thinking them, if that makes sense. Um, last question I think that's important to address is why writers use the stream of consciousness um, method. It was first used to kind of create a new literary technique that better represents the human experience. Um, Today, writers who use stream of consciousness feel that, you know, it's just more, more of like a real life representation of how characters actually feel. And it not only shows what they're thinking, but how they thought it, as I said earlier, which really just enabled us to connect to the character um, more fully. Awesome. So now that we have some background about what stream of consciousness is and where it came from, Robbie, why don't you tell us about how it connects to Mrs. Dalloway and how it is used? I would love to. So, I mean, if you just Google a list of the most prominent authors of the 20th century, a lot of them are going to be stream of consciousness authors. Uh, it's kind of a list of heavy hitters from James Joyce to Samuel Beckett, William Faulkner, and even someone a little more contemporary like Jack Kerouac. Um, they, they write in the very stream of consciousness style. And Virginia Woolf is considered very influential on most of these authors. Um, the book came out in 1925, which is kind of on the earlier end of that. So very influential to a lot of uh, authors, not just in the 20th century, but even contemporarily. And I should say that Mrs. Dalloway is considered um, by many perhaps her best novel, one of the best examples of that style. And so how specifically in Mrs. Dalloway did Virginia Woolf use the uh, stream of consciousness type of writing? Um, so... Uh, I have a specific example here, and I think this is a great example just of stream of consciousness and the way 
all these thoughts seem so connected, yet they kind of meander at the same time, which I believe is very true to how our real thoughts are. Um, in this, it's for the beginning of the novel. She's shopping in a busy street. The world around her is very busy, and she's in the hustle, the hustle and bustle of Piccadilly. And Wolf kind of lets us into Mrs. Dalloway's private thoughts. And the quote goes like this. She had a perpetual sense as she watched the taxi cabs of being out, out, far out to sea and being alone. She always had the feeling that it was very, very dangerous to live even one day. Not, not that she thought of herself as clever or much out of the ordinary. How she had got through life on the few twigs of knowledge Fräulein Daniels gave them, she could not think. She knew nothing, no language, no history. She scarcely read a book now, except memoirs in bed. And yet to her, it was absolutely absorbing. All this, the cab's passing, and she would not say of Peter, she would not say of herself, I am this, I am that. So she mentions a couple um, characters who you'll know once you read. Peter, for instance, being the love interest, as she mentions at the end. But first of all, I think any good writer appreciates the proper use of the semicolon. And this is like a gold medal round of semicolon usage because she uses here in that excerpt seven times to perfection. Um, and I, the, that particular um, style seems to serve the stream of consciousness writer really well because they're able to use or to string these loosely connected thoughts together in a way that gives them room to meander, as all our thoughts do, but to still stay connected. Um, and also, kind of by following Mrs. Dalloway's thoughts as she observes the present uh, with the taxi cabs, Wolf also takes us to her childhood, uh, mentioning the, her governess. I assume she's a governess. When I hear Fräulein, I think of Fräulein Maria and the Sound of Music, who was a governess. I don't know yeah, too much about governesses, but that's my assumption. Um, she talks about just in that, just as she's looking at the taxis, uh, also about her self-identity, talking about whether she feels clever or not. Then back to the present with the taxi cabs, mentioning her love interest. And she's keeping the focus on the people in the story. Um, so we see inside of this person and the situation at the same time in a way that brings, I think, much greater depth than if Wolf had simply written, Mrs. Dalloway gazed at the taxis and contemplated her life. Uh, so we get to know her in a much more modern and intimate way than, say, Jane Austen, who kind of introduces her saying, this is her name and this is what she's like. Um, as we get to know her in the beginning, uh, it's, it's, it's more subtle and I think a lot more intimate. Um, so stream of consciousness, uh, we're connected to their reactions to the world around them. So we get to learn these things while also staying present in the story. Yeah, it really sounds like we get her thought process, which is what stream of consciousness is. And from that little quote that you read, it, it really brings it together and thoughts are very jumbled. So it seems like we're taken to the, from the past to the present, just like a normal thoughts where thought process would be like. So that's really cool. Thank you, Robbie. And then, uh, Jessica, you, uh, learned how Mrs. Alloway connects to like the modern day and like just modernity of it all and of, all about that. So please tell us about how that connects. Yeah, so it was really cool to be able to read the article, Mrs. Dalloway Exploring Consciousness in the Modern World. Um, it really showed her way of thinking and her stream of consciousness within the book, how Robbie described how every little meticulous thought is being written out. Um, it it really shows the the modern elements of politics and human relations and literature as it's 
as it's growing throughout time, there was a quote in the article that says, all human relations have shifted. Those between masters and servants, husbands and wives, parents and children. And when human relations change, there is at the same time a change in religion, conduct, politics, and literature. When you are reading um, Mrs. Dalloway, you will realize, like, when in the story, <clears throat> excuse me, when Septimus Warren Smith commits suicide and he jumps out the window, um, the reaction that Clarissa has is very – she walks into the room at the end and she can see the impression of the minister, the um, of the prime minister's body still in the chair, and using that, it really shows how she. It, it says specifically in the text that a soul is never completely alone and free of the influence of social pressures. You know, he was he was affected by shell shock, and he was affected by being in the war. And having those political pressures really drove him to do what he did. And not having the understanding from others really affected him. Thank you. And I uh, read the same article and I saw like that it touched on uh, Mrs. Dalloway as a whole piece being like a a response to social uh, issues and how stream of consciousness feeds into that. Do you want to speak on that a little bit? Yeah. So with the stream of consciousness that Ms. Dalloway uses, um, with well, that Virginia Woolf uses within Ms. Dalloway, you see how her thoughts are being connected to her memories. And I, I thought about modern life today and us, you know, in our everyday lives. I'm constantly thinking about school and work, and there's 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 always a stream of consciousness going through everybody's brain, whether it's being written down or not. And I think that's something that's important to realize that hasn't changed over time. It's still modern. It's still something that happens every day. And being able to vocalize that and write that down in literature, I think, is still being made possible. It's really cool to see how um, something that was written so long ago could still be relevant today and how the writing practice used is still something very popular as well. And then a lot of people like Mrs. Dalloway was one of the earliest written pieces with stream of consciousness type writing. And so as anything that's new for its time, it probably got some interesting feedback from it. And Alicia, you read some reviews about it and whether it was well-received or not. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So for um, our reading in preparation for the podcast, we read several articles written, uh, critical articles written by poets and novelists and just critics. And some of them included Richard Hughes and Arthur Sidney McDowell and a few others. Um, And they really had a lot to say about Virginia Woolf, which is I had never read um kind of this type of writing, kind of like critical uh reviews that were published specifically for that purpose. And um they really had a lot to say. Um I feel like 
there was kind of like a conflicted uh, feeling generally about how people felt about it. And it was like kind of praising her experimental um, tactics, but also with a critical view of it. Yeah. And uh, do you like want to share some like some of the examples of how it went over with some of these critics and like what they said about it as, as a response? Yeah, I mean, a pretty commonality between every critic across the board is that they were like so praiseworthy of her, of her like vivid imagery and her sensory detail and her form. And she was just very skilled in that way. Almost every single one said there's no getting away from the fact that she was very skilled in what she was doing. She had her, her like ways about her and how she went about her writing done on purpose in that way that she had did. But they also, um, they kind of like feel like that nonlinear form kind of going backwards in time with memories, kind of like a film. That's how it was referred to a lot. And they said that kind of that meshing of different people's minds and going back and forth in time between different people, even it can be kind of confusing. They said that they felt that that she was unsure of herself, even the writer. And some people felt that kind of like the omnipotent nature of the speaker in the story um, kind of made it distant from the characters, like as opposed to feeling like really connected to one character specifically. It was just kind of distant from everyone, but kind of like a miss. They felt it like lacked focus in some senses. But again, it was all very the way they phrase it is always very praiseworthy. It's like it's just so different that they were like, I'm not sure how to approach this. That makes sense, as it was one of the earliest writings using this type of uh, style of writing. And it's it's very good of her to get that high praise, because as a female writer, I'm sure it must have been hard even if for her time to get that praise from male critics as we um, read from them. And it makes sense that they would say it was kind of confusing to follow because stream of consciousness, it's not usually something that makes sense because thought processes hardly make sense to anyone but the person. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And again, the critics were very praiseworthy and they were like, we see what she's trying to do. One of them even described the way that she was trying to look at the world was kind of like through a kaleidoscope of kind of seeing humanity through a kaleidoscope, seeing everything at once kind of meshed together into artistic form. Um, they just were like unsure about her tactics and how effective it was as a storytelling method. Um, I have to say that even though it could have been confusing sometimes, that it was like the closest I've ever come to reading a novel that was a story, but also kind of poetic in a sense. And it was kind of seeing all the colors the way they described it as like a mist. I actually appreciated and see the colors and the faces and the places. It was just a cool way to kind of experience an environment and a story and a whole city in the case of the story. I feel the same way. I uh, loved reading these excerpts because um, getting inside the mind of a character, people do that nowadays with their writing. It's just, it's not the same because usually they don't write like Wolf did in Mrs. Dalloway where it was just, her thoughts on everything, they usually have a point, modern writers do, with their stories. But the point with 
uh, Mrs. Dalloway is to get inside those thoughts and to hear them. And I think that Wolf, she really did open up a, a doorway to this fantastic new way of writing, this very new way. And it's quite fascinating to see how well she did it and how uh, it influenced uh, authors up until even our day. Like, I myself love to write from the viewpoints of characters as though they were thinking something. And I always scrap it because who writes like that nowadays? But as a first draft, it works and it helps to really get to know the character's thoughts and actions. And so I am honestly very grateful that she wrote like this and was uh, almost brave enough to do so, so that we could have this uh, stream of consciousness style of writing. Does anyone else have any other thoughts on this? Just, um, I, I like to equate a lot of, a lot of literature to like my musical experiences. And I remember in high school, um, if we're, if we're talking about the way that it's received and some people's hesitancy to embrace it because it doesn't follow a very linear structure that it's kind of, it's, it's almost like freestyling a little bit. And, um, I remember I recommended a song to a friend and the song actually now that I've, I've studied it a little bit, I, I can recognize was very stream of consciousness. It was a songwriter singing about members of his family. He's kind of moving from one to the other and it doesn't follow the classic verse, chorus, bridge, chorus format. And I sent it to my friend and she said she didn't like it because it didn't seem like it had any structure. And that was kind of her knock and why it was uncomfortable. And I remember she said something like, um, that, you know, who has really good structure in his songs, Michael Bublé. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I mean, yeah, that makes, I mean, it's, you know, it's cause he's going for a specific thing and I'm, I'm not laughing cause you know, if you like Michael Bublé and I don't, you know, Michael Bublé is great, but it's just a very, very different aim. And I can see how someone, if you're more used to that format would, it would be a little harder to get into this more like kind of freestyle way even though it's it's so impressive and it's so uh, revealing about the characters, which I think is, you know, the best part, the thing that keeps us hooked on a novel is the character, so or are the characters. So I just equated it, that to that experience, but I'm glad it sounds like, according to Alicia, that a lot of contemporary critics sort of got it a little more than, I don't know, maybe general audiences did. Thank you, Robbie. I I had never thought to make the connection to music and um, in my mind, whenever I learn about a style of writing, I only am able to attribute it to writing and like literature, but songs, that's pretty cool. Well, if anyone has any other thoughts. Um, just as a final thought, I feel like with the critical aspect of it, I feel like from a critical standpoint and then from a creative standpoint, whatever your opinion is on Virginia Woolf's stream of consciousness in uh, Mrs. Dalloway, I feel like it's a great, like, reference to have. It's great to have in the toolbox of understanding of the literature world, something that, you know, something to put a name on something. And it's just a nice little thing to have in your pocket, just in case it could ever be useful in some creative form, whether music or writing, or painting, or anything that you were looking at. It's just a fun little thing to have, and useful to understand. I think you are completely right, Alicia, that it is very useful to have, just 
have in your back pocket, in the back of your mind, always there just in case you need it. I think it's very cool to have. Well, thank you, everyone, for your time and for your dedication to uh, reading the required readings for the podcast. And I think that concludes it. Thank you again to Darian, Robbie, Alicia, Jessica, and Ashley for leading the podcast today. I look forward to discussing these topics and more with you in class. Join us next week with our next student-led podcast, discussing the new media phenomena of film and propaganda as explored in Christopher Isherwood's novel, Praetor Violet. <laughs>